For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. All right, everybody, welcome back to Believe in Wizards. Obviously, I've been on a little hiatus here. There hasn't been much Wizards news during this part of the offseason, so Larry took a little time off, but we're looking forward to getting back into it. Larry is not going to be joining me today. Instead, I have Osman Beg from Bolts Forever. He's basically the man behind the Bolts Forever Twitter account. So uh, any of the funny posts and things like that you've seen from, from that account come from him. And uh, one of the most diehard Wizards you know, fans on, on uh, you know, basically in the D.C. metro area. So uh, really appreciate him coming on here to, to talk about this team. And we're going to get into a lot of good stuff here today. But before we get going, just want to knock out a couple ad reads for you. As always, we've got Bet Online. So it's that time of year again. All eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron and ready to start football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all of the pro and college football action taking uh, taking place this season. So, get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the biggest online half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar NFL Survivor contest opening now at Bet Online. So head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% off welcome bonus. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And our second uh, ad for the week, uh, we've had them for a couple of weeks now with us, Balance 7. So, so I don't know if you heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. Apparently he's going to try out for Pau Gasol's team. He's been taking a new product that he credits a lot of his improvement to, Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH-balancing alkaline supplement drink. It's like vitamins or supplements, but in liquid form. Just one ounce a day, three times a day, and in a week, you'll see lots of effects. You're getting older, man. I don't know. I can I can relate to where Lamar's at. I played a little hoops this morning, and, and uh, I could definitely use something to, to give me a little boost here. So I don't blame him for giving this a try, and, and I wouldn't blame you for trying it either. So... You can see how Balance 7 has really helped. And right now, if you go to balance7.com and use the promo code BELIEVE, you'll get $10 off their 32-ounce bottle. The bottle lasts 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH balancing drink begin to take effect. Again, that's balance7.com and use the code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. I did. And hey, look, I made a couple jumpers this week, so it's a step in the right direction. And uh, you know, we'll see if uh, any of the Wizards need to take that by midseason. All right. Yeah. Let's get to the show here. And uh, next voice you'll hear in, in a second will, will be me and, and Oz breaking down the uh, the Wizards upcoming season. All right. I'm now joined by the brains behind the Bulls Forever Twitter account. Oz, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, Matt. Uh, absolutely. I don't know if you should be, kind of put that out there. Some of the, you know, the Russ Hive, the Russ cult the, might be a little coming for you to know that it's actually me, you know, but, you know, why not? Well, you know, they can bring it on. There's a group of us. How about that? Uh, yeah. We'll give you credit for all the funny ones. Uh, the rest of us will, will take the hit for uh, right. for for gaslighting the the crazies. 
we, we will circle back around to that one. There'll be a little rest talk here today for folks. But I think the first thing I want to talk about is just NBA 2K ratings. All right, we have not done a show since all this came out, and it was such a big deal. I really can't understand why. And I, first of all, one, do you remotely care about 2K ratings and what players for the Wizards get? Absolutely not. So I play 2K. I mean, mm-hmm. I like playing it. You know, I got two younger kids, so I play with like I play with the play with the boys. They like playing 2K, and I have a good time. I'll create my own character and you know and do all that type of stuff. But yeah. when it comes to actual ratings for players on the Wizards, I could care less. I guess I could see if you're a player, you're probably like a little offended by you know, but hey, sure. you know, why am I that? But I think way too much is made out of it. There's so many more deserving accolades that players should be chasing that it is so irrelevant you know let me just say this before i get some hate from a a different fan base here but i really like bradley beal overall but it does bother me that the thing he seems most animated about are things like 2k ratings and all-star votes and not the fact that espn projects them to finish 12th in the eastern conference like i'd love to see him retweet that and be like you know, feel slighted by that. But an 89 on 2K gets like multiple tweets from Mm -hmm. his entire family tree for a month. So I'm curious how you feel about that one. I completely agree. So I'm, you know, I'm a Brad fan. I think he's a great player. I think he's developed so much in his time here. He's a great guy. Seems like the perfect guy that you kind of want to build a team around. Mm -hmm. I don't really understand kind of the obsession. I guess all-star votes make a little more sense. I'm sure there's some contractual things Mm -hmm. there. There's some uh peer respect coaches respect things like that that you could take out of it but i can't say that it doesn't always catch my guard or all i mean catch me off i wouldn't say off guard but catch my attention that all-star snubs all nba snubs now 2k ratings really get a big reaction from him and kind of you know uh yeah from the the whole brad deal kind of contingent out there you know like and i i like you, like you said, the the East, the ESPN power power rankings uh, top twelve. Well, you know, the Wizards were projected to be twelfth, right? Eleventh yeah, or twelfth, something like that. But out of the play, there was yeah. absolutely nothing on that. Yeah. That's his team. He's the yeah. face of the franchise. Shouldn't he be more offended by that than what his two K rating is? I mean, I mean if, I, it's just yeah, beyond you top res- rating. You know, if you want respect, I, I would think leading a team that people don't think should make the playoffs through the playoffs is the best way to get that. Not who voted you into the All Star game. I agree, but I think kind of where where I am with him sometimes is that his place on the Wizards. His, he is the franchise here, but if he does well, it's great. It's like look how great Bat- Brad did. If they lose, it's like poor Brad, free Brad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you get the gifts, you get the the memes of him looking frustrated on the bench. And it's everyone's like, oh, please, you know, somebody rescue him from there as he continues to sign contract extension after contract contract extension here. So at some point, own it. Like if you want to stay, stay. If you want to win, probably have to go somewhere else, you know, and ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh Again, overall, Beal does way more good than bad. It just every once in a while, some, something will get retweeted a couple too many times and I get a little tweaked by it. But mm-hmm. uh, just since we're on it, is 89 too low for the guy? Um, so I haven't done this yet. I wanted to do it just kind of for fun. Was like build a player in, as to how I perceive his attributes. 
And like his three point shooting is down a little bit. Mm -hmm. His defense is has taken a big step back in his career. Um, Turns it over a bit much. So kind of when you build a player with those attributes, where would they really, they're not going to be a 94 or 95. They're going to be an 89, maybe a 90. And if he's, if it's a 90 versus an 89, is he all of a sudden happy with that? I, I, that's what I said, like 88 to 92 was the range for me anywhere in there. I I would not have an issue. Um, So some of the ones that were a little surprised to me, like Rui being 78, like, okay, you know, maybe that's a touch low, but when you think that like Trey Burke is a 76, right? Like Rui is a considerably better player to me than Trey Burke is. So I, yeah, things like that were, they were kind of hard to reconcile. I think there are a couple of odd ratings at the same time, how much time do they really spend on Rui coming yeah. up with the rating? So you can That's really kind of probably understand that. I think at best, he'd probably be like an 80 if they really focused in on him. Um, but yeah, there's some, there are definitely some that always like, Hey, that doesn't really make sense. But you know, with the updates that they always do, you know, as the season goes on, players have the opportunity to correct it themselves. You know, I, I hope that by the end of the season, everyone on the wizards is much higher than they started. That'll be a good sign for how yeah. the team did. Um, just, just kind of segueing into something that's almost equally as stupid, in my opinion. Do you ever feel like you learn anything of value from these off-season workout videos? So no, and it's really my least favorite part of the off-season. I, there was a point where I'd be like, oh, okay, Wall's putting out an off-season video. Hey, his jump shot looks a little better. And it's kind of something that I think I've, I've learned. I've watched his, the videos, sure. and then the player would come back the same. Yep. So at some point stop paying attention to the videos like Ben Simmons every summer is hitting threes left and right. When the season starts, he won't even take a three, you know, mm-hmm. John Wall's shot has stayed the same. Um, there are a couple of players who like when you watch the Drew Hanlon videos and you see the kind of the work that they do, you could actually see some of the moves that they, that his group of players that he works with translate to the floor. So I, you know, I, I see some of that there and, you know, credit to them for kind of taking what they do in the summer, applying it to the floor. Uh, to when they get on the floor, but at the same time, you know, especially playing pickup and what have you, I just really take nothing out of it. It's, it's just something it's content for people who just want basketball content over the summer. Um, but every time, like one of those aggregate sites, like tweets out something like, Oh, look out. He could shoot now. No. That player still can't shoot in October. Yeah. Ben, ben Simmons has become Steph Curry. Right. I, I was telling a friend the other day that I went to a Wizards game in like the nine game stretch that Dwight Howard was here and he hit like 17 consecutive threes and shoot around. I'm like, you know, unguarded any NBA player. Like this guy's a 60% free throw shooter. He can mm-hmm. hit 100% of his threes, you know, unguarded. So uh, I was, was kind of trying to look at that. Yeah, with that, I think, that I think people tip. need to, if, if you come out early to a game, you see that these guys just don't miss. Yeah. I saw Jan Vesely mm-hmm. hit like, seven straight threes during a work during a pregame shoot around. Like I think it was his rookie season maybe, but you know, we know he's not going to make that in a game. And it's just, it's also funny to me when they're like, Oh, this guy is learning. Hey, look at, look at this player. Player X is learning how to shoot, but he's shooting from the high school three point line and in a gym that they just rented out. You know, it's just, it just cracks me up. The only thing I do think that it provides some value for is a situation like a Spencer Dinwiddie where the injury thing was like, will he be ready? Will he won't be ready? the videos they've shown of him, he looks kind of explosive. He looks healthy and dynamic. So like that I'm happy to see, but uh, you know, if he suddenly had like knocked down three point shooting as well, I wouldn't expect to see that during the season. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Uh, With Dinwiddie, 
I don't, I see him make threes in these videos. I don't expect him to be a 43, 40% three point shooter, but it is good to see him healthy. And you kind of get a better idea of what his ISO game looks like in some of these situations. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if you see some of that translate over to the floor. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. So you and I had a healthy, respectful Twitter exchange the other week about who the forward should be this week. And, and I really wanted to just sort of tease that out starting with, you know, forward spot specifically, but kind of go across the whole starting lineup here. And I think we were both agreed that Rui is going to be a starter on this team. And the other question is who is at the other forward spot? I think I was pro KCP at least to start the season, just to kind of have somebody solid there. And then if Kuzma's playing well enough, maybe you transition to that. I think you were ready to see Kuzma come out of the gate and, and didn't think there was much of a difference from them defensively. And that Kuzma's the, you know, the, the bigger threat offensively, but I, I want to let you make the case there. Like who, you know, who should the forwards be to start the year? So let's start at the four. There's no reason to think Rui's not going to be the four. So I don't sure. think that's really worth a big debate. Uh, there is always Twitter wizards. Twitter just goes back and forth on Rui. And it's the conversation is just kind of a little silly. A lot of it is based on pre-draft. Hey, I didn't want him pre-draft. So whenever he has a bad game, I'm going to tweet something negatively about him. And then kind of the straw man becomes, hey, you, everyone who likes him thinks he's going to become Kawhi Leonard. No one thinks that. Yeah. I haven't heard anyone say, hey, this, people have said, oh, he has similar, comes, some similar characteristics to when he plays. You can see the mid-range stuff. Big Looks hands. a little familiar. Right. Big hands. Exactly. But no one is saying, hey, we have Kawhi Leonard. We just have to give him the ball more. No one is saying that. Um, but I think I'll touch base on him quickly. He finished the season very strongly. Agreed. His three-point shooting for the season was 33%. If you actually add the play-in game and the playoffs on the aggregate, regular season play-in playoffs, his three-point percentage was 36%, which is probably higher than, you know, whenever people talk about it, it's always yeah. oh, like he's a low 30, 30s. 30. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But when you take the largest sample size, it's up to 36%. Now, if he was a 33% three-point shooter, but he went to the playoffs and shot, was hesitant and shot 20%, then you'd probably look at that 33% and say, hey, that may be inflated. He still has a lot of work to do there. The fact that he built on it, took it to the next level, it, like as the season closed, makes you think, okay, there is definitely, you went from 28 to 33. He did 36 if you take everything together. Could he be a 36, 37% three-point shooter? Why not? Yeah. I think the bigger thing with him is volume. Like, will he be willing to take that many threes? I think he did in... Was it game four that they beat Philadelphia? Yeah, there I were two games have... in, in that stretch where he looked consistent, like considerably more comfortable just catching it and shooting it right away. Right. And I think he may have taken seven three-point attempts in that yeah. game four win over Philadelphia. So that was like a good example of what you want to see from him. Um, but kind of where what he has to do is just what I see is like he has good stretches for 10 games and he has really ice cold stretches for 10 yeah. games. Same. And he really has to just iron that out. If he could just at least be even just you know, replace like play just average and not have those big dips. And I think he'll be much better, but kind of going to why I think Kuzma at first, I thought KCP should start, but then the more I thought about it, the Wizards are a small team. They have a six foot three shooting guard in Brad Beal. You'd have a six foot four um, small forward. Now Caldwell Pope is a good defensive player, but going up against Jalen Browns, Jason Tatum's bigger forwards, would he start getting kind of overpowered? And then, I think that could then kind of affect his shooting because like he's just always getting worn out playing against bigger players. And then I was thinking like, are the Wizards in position where they, where they should be making a lineup for fit or do they really need to still just put the best player in the lineup? 
Sure. And I think Kuzma out of the guys who came from LA probably has a chance to be the best overall player. I thought for everything I've read is that his defense improved in LA. His three-point shooting got up to 36%. I believe he's 38% on catch and shoot. And the interesting thing is everyone cites um, Caldwell Pope's three-point shooting. But, and I did some stats. I looked at some stats before go. I jumped on here. He is actually only averaged, and you kind of picture KCP kind of just standing in the corner shooting threes. He's only taken 3.5 and 4.4 three-point attempts over the past two seasons. Sure. Kuzma is averaging five and a half for his career. Mm-hmm. So if he's hitting, and, and I don't expect him to take many off the dribble threes here, that shouldn't be uh, what, they, what they plan around. But if he is taking five and a half or you know, somewhere around six three-point attempts and shooting his 38% catch and shoot rate, that's, I think, good enough for spacing. I think that's a, that's a player that teams are going to have to respect. They're going to have to close out on him. And he's shown the ability to beat the closeout. The other thing is he's taller. He's about, what, 6'8", 6'9". Rui is 6'8", 6'9". They cut, you could 610 if you believe the recent Quentin Mayo tweets. <laughs> so if you go, if you have two guys there, if you recall um, the play in the first playing game against Boston, Rui got in foul trouble and Jason Tatum kind of went to work on a lot of small defenders. Yeah. You kind of remove that from the equation if you have Kuzma and Rui, because then they're very interchangeable. You, you don't have to just rely on one player to take that big wing. You could interchange over there. And I think that could be helpful. It's also a roster balance issue where you have, you don't have much guard depth. You have a ton of forwards Hmm. by doing it this way. Caldwell Pope could back up Beal and he'll still play some minutes at the three over the course of a game. So uh, let me devil's advocate a little bit, because actually just, I agree with everything you said there. The only reason why I would consider doing it the other way is I think there's more to Kuzma's game than just a catch and shoot player. Like I do actually Mm -hmm. think he can be a little more versatile than he's been able to show this far. and you know, he's just going to get the ball and more opportunities to show that against a second unit. And they're going to feature Rui more. Dinwiddie's going to look to establish himself. Beal's going to shoot. Like, let's, we'll figure out the center in a minute. But either way, like, mm-hmm. it's probably some touches there. There's only so much, like, love Kuzma's going to get in that starting five, whereas maybe if you, you know, he's the first guy off the bench or whatever, at least you give him a little opportunity to, to kind of cook and do his thing. And, right. Um, you know, kind of figure that out a little bit. So, so that's maybe why I would make that case. But if he looks like the defender he looked like in their bubble playoff run, then shit, he might just be so good you you, you can't avoid it. So I, that's sort of the question for me is like, I know KCP will spot up and I know he'll play good defense. Guzman, I think, can do more. Mm-hmm. You just don't see it all the time yet. So maybe right. you kind of let him ease into a new situation. But But either way, I think this is the best shape they've been in at the small forward spot in like i don't know six or seven years probably yeah absolutely absolutely and i do agree with your point your your point makes a lot of sense because you still have two would-be high volume guys at guard you want to get really more touches than he got last year you want his field goal attempts and his aggressiveness to go up um but instead of maybe relying on him to be a 20 point per game score if him and kuzma could kind of share the load each put in 15 to 16 a night. Maybe That'd that works well. I'm, I'm not sure. That is a good point. You don't have, the, we'll talk about the center later, depending on how much the center needs the ball also, that could mm. factor into this. I just think they would be, if you have four players, one through four, who need to be covered or accounted for when they're on the floor, sure. it could put more pressure on the defense, on defenses, especially in the regular season. 
I think that, yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think either way, like I'm, I'm cool with it. It means we've got a pretty good group with either of those guys, I think, but this wizard starting five, whatever it looks like, it's not going to be some kind of like juggernaut starting five. We're like, right. we're going to overwhelm you because we're so top heavy. I think their best bet is like, our bench is so solid. There's not much of a drop off and, mm-hmm. and your scrubs are going to come in and we're just going to overwhelm them like that. Right. That's kind of what I think will carry them over the course of the season. Uh, this COVID stuff is like still kind of lingering. So if you've got certain marquee players on the wizards that refuse to get vaccinated, does that become an issue? So I think the fact that they're deep this year specifically is a huge leg up over last right. year. And I think that's something that people when they come up with these sort of like win projections are, are undervaluing in my opinion. Yeah. And I think I, I looking back, I believe, so I don't know how it, I, in the bubble season, if you look at it pre bubble, they were on pace to beat their, their wins, win mm-hmm. totals. And I think last year they did also, I think it's the wizards are a weird team for national people to kind of evaluate. They don't, it does. It seems like national pundits don't actually like the wizards because they want them to pick a direction. And unless you kind of more go fun by, to trade Beal. It's more content. fun to trade Beal, and if they're not trading Beal, they're just frustrated they're not trading Beal. So they kind of just say, what are they doing? They stink. They're going to win 20 games every year. And it seems like every year they kind of exceed the hurdle. So I, I think they'll do the same this year. Uh, yeah, I, it doesn't surprise me. I think I saw the projection this year was for 38. So that puts them below 500. So right. Uh, I think it was 34, but you could be Oh, like, no, you're right. You're 100% right. It was okay. 34. And 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 I was thinking about it like, okay, in a you know, 72 game season that wouldn't have been as terrible, but now that we're back to the 82, that that seems particularly disrespectful to me. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. And then you have I mean, I guess kind of leading to the other part of the four discussion, you have players that last year were pegged to be starters. Now they're going to be fighting for backup minutes. So your depth that like like you said the depth is there. So instead of Denny starting at the three, now he's going to be competing for minutes at, as the backup three. Mm-hmm. And they're just a deeper team. Like, you know, we, we haven't talked about, like Montrez Harrell's going to play the center, backup center probably role, but he's a guy who just eats in the regular season. And that, his energy level, his ability to do that against second units is what gets you wins in the regular season. I'm not saying it's going to work in the playoffs and they could easily just, if they get to the playoffs, lose in the play-in yeah. or lose in the first round. But I don't, I think they're built to be a, a pretty decent regular season team. Not a good, but just pretty decent, you know? I think somewhere around 500 is kind of yeah. what I would suggest. Maybe a little right. less. Maybe they get hot or make a big trade and they go a couple yeah. above. And it I don't reminds- expect Bertans to actually be as bad as he was last year, kind of going back to the four discussion. Like if he comes in, it would be a bad look if he comes in as out of shape as he did last year. So it seems he, almost impossible that that's the case, I would hope. <laughs> so if he does, that's like another player that was playing 30 minutes a game that doesn't have that role anymore. But if he just, if he could hit threes for 20 minutes a game, that's like an added bonus. And another thing that just adds to their regular season build. Throwing out last year's team, but it kind of reminds me of like the, the Pacers team in the last couple of years before that, where like no like overwhelming star power. I mean, obviously we have mm-hmm. Brad and stuff, but it's mostly just like here are 10 to 12 like competent adults that you can put in at yeah. any time. And there's not a big drop off. And, and like you said, I think that wins your regular season games most of the time. Right. There's no, there's no Chandler Hutchinson starting on this team anymore. You know, 
it, it is really crazy to think about the people that they rolled out at small forward last year. And, yeah. and that to my, in my opinion is the most important, like, you know, swing position in the league to, to be able to determine whether or not you're a good team. Do you have competent wing depth? And and now mm-hmm. they at least seem to have that. Uh, so Kyle Kuzma got asked about their quote glut of wings in a presser a couple weeks ago and said, I think you've got to realize, like, I'm not going to say it's a log jam, but if you look at the landscape of the NBA, teams always have a bunch of guys that are six, six and above. They can all play on the court at the same time. This league is transformed into kind of positionless. If you have guys that know how to play basketball and know how to defend at a high level, now you're in business. I think that totally is in line with, you know, what we just spent the last five minutes on. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad Kuzma gets where we're coming from. Right. And he followed Mm -hmm. up with, it's a good problem for Wes and the organization to have. I like to call them, quote, successful people problems because we have a lot of great and talented players on one roster. It's always about sacrifice and trying to win. Does that concern you at all when you have 12 guys that now there's like some ego and and shit like that, that you have to juggle and manage for a new coach? To a degree. um, The coach can't try to play too many players. So Wes, Wes Unsell Jr. If he's going with a 12 man rotation, just to kind of keep everybody happy, it's not going to work because no one's going to get into rhythm then except for the primary ball handlers. So I think you got to still make the tough decisions. You got to pick your, your, your 10 man rotation and you just have to play the guys. And if someone's out of the rotation, they're out of the rotation until somebody either plays their way out of the rotation or someone gets injured or what have you. Um, but you have to just do that because, uh, and we've seen it. I think it was Scott Brooks did that. And it kind of bothered me. Everyone, mm-hmm. It was pretty obvious, you know, how old Neto, what should have been the backup point guard last year, sure. but he forced Ish Smith in as the first reserve point guard and then when with that three guard point guard lineup, because he didn't want to disrespect his Smith, and but he also had to play Neto, who just clearly should have it's been too on the good floor. not to play. Yeah, right. Exactly. You can't just you have to make the decisions. And if players are if players are upset about that, well, frankly, you know I don't you know, play better. If a, yeah, play better. Play better. And like if let's say Adavis Bertans is playing twenty minutes instead of thirty minutes that he's used to, and if he's upset about that, well, I was like, you put the you put yourself in that position mm-hmm. by having a poor season last season. So if you want to play more, you have to show that you can defend. Like there's no spot that should be given to a player that is totally indifferent on the defensive side of the floor. Anymore. Like with that many players, like you play your specialists, but then you limit, you limit their exposure. Yeah. You don't have to pace yourself now because the yeah. team has enough depth where you're not trying to, can I make it 30 minutes tonight? Uh, yeah. I think that that's a great point. And one of the things Larry always talks about is just, Hey, just have a plan to start the year. Here are the roles, whether it's two weeks or 10 games or five games or whatever it is, this is what everybody will do in this chunk of the season. And at the end of that, we'll reevaluate if, you know, somebody's looked so good in practice or in spot minutes that we have to give them more time, then, you know, roles will shift, but at least you've sort of, you've gone into the season with something that looks like a plan that you can kind of adjust from. And and that was clearly not the case last season. And and that was probably, I think the entire fan base's biggest frustration that you just Mm -hmm. didn't hear, you know, the players had to get the roles and responsibilities talk together. I mean, that, that still blows my mind to be honest. Right. Exactly. It's, it's just, it's frustrating to watch. I would be very frustrated if this season started and I saw them try to try to fit 12 people in just to keep everyone happy. Yep. Agreed. All right, so let's say we're going Dinwiddie, Beal, Kuzma, Hachimura. 
who is the fifth starter here? You got a couple options. It seems like Thomas Bryant won't be ready to start the season. So realistically, it's probably Gafford or Montrez Harrell. Who would you go with and why? So to me, it's it's definitely Daniel Gafford. I think the conversation really is Montrez Harrell has been always successful in that six-man role. Mm-hmm. He's what six seven, I think, generously yeah, speaking, that, probably six yeah, seven. Yeah. He's not a good defensive player, but his job is to eat against second units, beat them with energy. I remember, even frankly, like when the Clippers came here, and even when we went there, he would just when he saw Thomas Bryant guarding him, he would just go at him, mm-hmm. like absolutely just shred him into pieces. And that's what you want. You want him in his twenty-five minute per game role yeah. off the bench, maybe twenty to twenty, depending on how the matchups are on a nightly basis. If there's a team with a five that's kind of like working him, then maybe you kind of limit those minutes a bit. So the way I see it is he's the backup, I think, regardless of who is the starter. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way I would view it. To me, the question is when Brian comes back, who is the starter? Mm-hmm. And I think one thing, and I, I talked to you all about this a little bit offline. One thing that bothers me when the conversation occurs on this is everyone's like, people love to say, oh, we got to get better on defense. Oh, we got to get better on defense. But I think in the kind of analytics, and I'm not anti-analytics at all, in the, but the, in the analytics and spacing era, people just see three-point percentage mm-hmm. and assume, hey, There's we no got to play that There's no context to it. Yeah. No context to it. No context. So, so everyone, so any conversation you hear about this is, well, Thomas Bryant, she's 41% from three, oh, 40% from three point, uh, the three-point line and has a ridiculous effective field goal percentage. So when he's healthy, he has to start. Well, Daniel Gafford also has a pretty crazy, uh, pretty crazy efficiency. He doesn't shoot threes, but he changed the game defensively. Mm-hmm. So I kind of looked at some numbers here, okay. did a little more homework. Love it. And kind of somebody so the on the arg- show has to. <laughs> so the argument has been that you can't take Thomas Bryan off because of his offense. So I pulled some on off numbers um, just to kind of, just for context. So Thomas Bryant, kind of going back the last three years, last year was obviously a small sample size. When And I'm just going to give you kind of his net rating on and off for each season. So uh, 20, uh, this past season, 21, 20 to 21, um, on, they had a negative 2.1 net rating. Off, they had a negative 1.4 net rating. Um, the year before that, on, negative 6.6, off, negative 2.9. The year before that, when I think he was mostly playing off the bench the first year he came here mm. from L.A., on negative 3.6, off negative 2.3. So in the three seasons that he's played here, they have been better when he's off the court than when he's on. And I think that speaks to really not his, like he's a hyper-efficient offensive player. It probably, there, like there's, these numbers aren't absolute. There's context to it. There's who he's playing with. There's lineups, light, light lineups that he's going against. So there's definitely context to that. But I think what it, it speaks to is kind of the, the defensive issues that he brings to the table. Now the argument is that his offense is so good that you can't keep him like you, you need to play him. He'll, he'll open the floor. The three point argument to me is a little silly because he's never made more than one three point, uh, three point shot per game of uh, three point attempt per game. He's never made more than one. I mean, yeah. so no team is going to change how they defend the floor and let Brad Beal have a clear path to the lane yeah. because they're, they're too afraid to leave Thomas Bryant. And that's kind of my main issue when people say, oh, well, he's a 40, 40% three-point shooter. What, I mean, you tell me, do you think someone is going to say, hey, we can't leave him, so you're on an island against Brad Beal? Yeah, maybe for one big possession, you know, like, but not yeah. for the course of a game. Right. And then the other thing that is, so I, I pulled up his offensive rating on for the past three seasons. So it's 
Last season, 113.6. The year before that, 109.4. And the year before that, 109. Daniel Gafford's offensive rating last year was 116.8. So and everyone keeps saying you can't, you know, Bryant over Gafford because, well, not everyone, I'm not going to say everyone. The argument that people who are pro-Bryant make is um, you have to have him because of his offense. Well, the offense actually functioned at its highest level than it ever has with Thomas Bryant, with, with Daniel Gafford on the floor. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because, it's just because of the three-point shooting. When, in fact, there is something to vertical spacing. There's the lob threat, uh, lob threat that he provides that Brian doesn't. And that is something that like catches defenses off guard. And then like, just last thing I wanted to add here, people talk about the effective field goal percentage. Daniel Gaffer's effective field goal percentage last year was 68.4%. Brian last season was 69.8, two years before 62, six and 64 eight. So we're, when, when the argument is, Oh, he's so efficient. You can't not start him. You have to also say that Gafford is also hyper-efficient. All great points. I think I've been sort of, you know, more pro Bryant as a player than most. I I think one of the things he actually, the, the best value he brings in my opinion is that he just runs the floor hard as shit. Like the shooting yeah. is nice, but it's actually like, I am going to dead sprint every time, you know, we're, we're on offense. And if you've got, you've got Embiid chasing you or somebody like that, like, I actually think that's a reasonable value. And yeah. that's my one concern about Gafford is just, you're 24 years old and you can't play 20 minutes a game because quote, you play so hard that you're not in shape enough to play that long. Like hopefully he's been on the track or the treadmill all off season or or whatever (laughs) it is. So assuming the conditioning thing isn't as big a deal, I'm totally in favor of him being the starter. And then, you know, you do whatever it is with Harold or or Bryant, you know, off the bench. And, and to me, they're kind of similar players who could play similar yeah. roles, not great defensively, might get bullied a little, but they're going to make another team work. They're going to eat against backup centers. Right. I, I think that's their best path to like, again, talking about what we talked about before, but like balanced first and second unit, I think it gives them an extra punch off the bench. So I agree. And I think that's, like you said, that's where the redundancy is. It's really more Bryant versus yeah. Montrez. Mm-hmm. Montrez can't shoot, but that's really in terms of, impact in terms of like how efficient they are how they attack second units the defensive issues that's where they're redundant i think i think gafford assuming the conditioning issues and he could stay out of foul trouble are you know assuming those two things i would start him and then kind of see how harold starts and then you could kind of slowly work brian back in because there are going to be nights where someone rolls an ankle someone is out for a reason and you're going to have to play all three during the course of the season so i think in that situation i think the four is they might be too deep. I don't want to say too deep, but you know what I mean? Like there are, someone's going to have to sit and maybe shouldn't sit, shouldn't mm-hmm. sit. I think at the center position though, that combination of three can work for an entire season, but I would hundred percent start Gafford. I think one last thing, the game last, last season, I believe where they beat the Pelicans, he stopped Zion at the rim, like three, four straight times. Yeah. That's just something that neither Bryant or Montrez could do. So in, if they were playing Zion makes those attempts and we don't win that game. He's just a big game changer. He does his free throw shooting is improved. So I think he's not going to be someone that you're worried that they put him at the free throw line. He just, like you said, he has to show his, get his condition, whatever's up with his conditioning, he has to get that taken care of. And he just has to stay out of foul trouble. 
Let's take Bryant sort of out of the equation just now, because what they say December shit happens. Maybe yeah. that's January, whatever. Um, and they might weirdly heavily feature him when it comes back to try to trade him. But just just to start the year, I think it wouldn't surprise me to see Gafford start, but Harold get more total minutes. Does that seem reasonable to you? That could seem reasonable. I could see Gafford playing 20 minutes a game and then Harold playing maybe 24 to 20 five yeah. and then i can honestly see them maybe going small depending on who they're playing maybe going kcp kuzma and Rui if they're playing a team that's only playing big wings mm-hmm. to close a game for for example but that team that situation like that's a specific you can't play Rui against an actual center but Not against right. teams that don't have an actual center and are going to play just a bunch of you know like three four six eight wings maybe that's how they close sometimes you're playing the Suns and they've got Cam Johnson and Crowder as their mm-hmm. two bigs on the court. Like something like right. that would would work, I think. Uh, all right. So we've locked in Gafford as the starter. It's clear that both uh, KCP and Harrell are going to play some minutes. So we're already at seven guys. Presumably you need a backup point guard. I, I personally am happy that they brought Neto back. I liked what he did last year. Like theoretically, I like the idea of Aaron Holiday. It's a little weird to me that he couldn't beat out TJ McConnell last year right. as the backup. Like if you're a reasonable shooter and a, you know defensive analytics darling, which uh, McConnell's like very good defensively too, but he literally cannot shoot beyond like five feet. Uh, that would make me a little nervous. So I think Neto is at the very least your insurance policy there and on cheap deal, but do you see both of those guys in the rotation? Do you see one of them? Like, how do you, how do you see that kind of shaking up? So <clears throat> I was glad Neto came back. I think part of it might be because they don't, they're going to have to do some load management with Dinwiddie coming off the ACL. Yeah, agreed. If they play like, you know, back to backs, maybe he sits out early in the season, or at least they got to limit his minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that in that role that on those nights, it'll be interesting to see actually who they start. Holiday can make his th- make some threes and the defense is there, but I didn't see much else. Mm-hmm. So I don't, it's one of those where I'm curious to see how Wes plays it. Like, is he going to give him the first shots and stats who they traded, tra- like made that draft they trade for, or they, and he makes more money than Neto, or are they going to just let them play it out, compete in camp and may the best man win. I think Neto should be, based on what I've seen, but I'm open to seeing how the preseason plays out. Yeah. I think that's the answer is like, maybe you kind of assume that it was the incumbent. And then if he gets outplayed, he gets outplayed. I mean, last year's coaching staff, they would have just played together uh, and and we wouldn't have to worry about it. But uh, I, I think, you know, Neto, makes sense if he's on the court with Dinwiddie some, like you could do a little one, two there. Um, and maybe, uh, holiday makes a little more sense next to Beal. Uh, it just he'll play a little more perimeter defense. He's probably mm-hmm. maybe the scrappiest, um, you know, point of attack defender of that group, I would think. And right. You can let Beal kind of handle the ball a little bit and, and do his thing more. If you have Denny being kind of a secondary facilitator yeah, and Beal maybe point. staggering back in with the second unit or Dinwiddie, then like you said, maybe you, maybe you have a holiday there because really all you're looking for is, just be a pest on defense, yeah. like make life, life difficult for whoever the point guard is on the floor and make your open threes. Cause that's really all they want out of the, out of the position. 
So I think in that role, maybe it does make more sense because they, it does seem like they do want to at least give Denny the opportunity to be a, more of a secondary playmaker this year. I think there's at least a reasonable shot that both of them are at least somewhat in the rotation early. Right. And, and that puts us, you know, at, at nine guys. Uh, and, and then the question becomes, you know, you've probably got to find some minutes for Denny at this point. You know, hopefully he's healthy-ish. We didn't see him in summer league, but they said he should be good to go. So uh, that puts you at 10. Uh, Davis Bertans puts you at 11. Um, and, and then you've got this year's draft picks in um, Corey Kispert and Isaiah Todd. I don't think Todd plays many minutes with the Wizards this year at all. But Right, unless something goes terribly wrong. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, like, yeah, they do actually finally, like, you know. Blow things like, up. Yeah. yeah, that's the only real way that I would see Todd playing. Kispert, Kispert's interesting. Um, he didn't shoot great in summer league, but he, he showed that when he actually, when they generated a good look for him, that the NBA range wasn't any issue for him. Like there was that one game that he just kind of, I think he made maybe six, five or six threes. And if he made he two ex- more threes over summer league, he would have been an almost 40% three point shooter and right. no one would be talking about it. That's what's so crazy with that sample size too. Exactly. But he looked, he looked, look, it did not look like three point range. The NBA line would be any issue for him. Um, and he moved well, like everything that you expected from him, he moved well without the ball, mm-hmm. he could shoot the ball and he showed some ability to beat a closeout. Not, he's not going to go five, six dribbles off that, but he could take a couple dribbles, find a spot from there. So he actually is ready. I think playing with better players because that role, like he's ready for that role, but Davis Bertans is making $80 million and they either have to see if like, see if he's back and they're committed to him or at least even trade, like bring up his trade value so they can move him. So I think he gets the first look. I do wonder if, um, so the whole Westbrook trade happened on draft day, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. I think I kind of look back at the season yep. and maybe I wonder if their draft board was set and they didn't want to pivot last minute because they got, so they went from needing a wing needing shooters to kind of having a glut of wings and a glut of kind of not a glut of shooters, but just enough shooters that maybe if they had more time to kind of evaluate what they have as a result of the trade, maybe they changed their draft board or, or maybe he was just, uh, maybe he was just there and they were adamant. That's our guy. We'll figure out what to do with Davis Bertans later. I think they made such a, an emphasis on, we need shooting. Like even, even if all these guys come back, you know, Bertans looks like he should look and, and all these things, like, even if you make the trade, it's still, you can never have too much shooting. That that's partly what I assumed. I think Duarte was probably their guy. Just, you know, they, they raved about that interview. Um, the things he talked about, it sounded like a, like a very like in-depth process that they put him through. So, yeah. I mean, maybe not the guy, but he was one of the guys in the mix for them. Uh, Trey Murphy probably got some looks, but maybe they thought that was a reach. Although in retrospect, that might've been Looked pretty good. Yeah. yeah. That might've been the right pick. Uh, so, so I'm with you. I think that was like, Hey, we're locked in on like a semi ready to contribute guy that can shoot some threes for us at the wing. And and that's who we're going to go with. And and maybe Kispert is, uh, you know, more of a three. So that's where we have the biggest hole on our roster and Duarte maybe is more of a two. I don't know, but or Murphy's right. I think maybe hindsight, more of a four. Like if, Duarte, if Duarte was there, he would make sense from a roster with structuring this yeah. because they need the guard depth, yeah. but at the same time, he wasn't there. So the kind of, the, it was taken out of taken out of their control and, you know um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I just, you know, I don't, I just can't imagine him playing early, but 
unless something happens at camp with someone else, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Same. Uh, do you see Kispert or Denny spending any time in the G league this year at, at the very least to start the season? Maybe. I think we'll definitely see Todd in the G league. Uh, Denny, it sounds like they want him to be the backup three. So if he just does not have a good game, so he had a couple, the Denny conversation was interesting last year. I was a big fan of his coming out of the draft. I was excited that he slipped to nine and they drafted him and he started off the season well, but there were some glaring holes in his game that people seem to just not factor in. Like he can't dribble with his left hand period. No. And he can't like in his shot. Once it disappeared, he never was able to get it back and he doesn't get to the free throw line probably because he could only dribble with his right and mm-hmm. he might just shy away from contact well, getting to the line because he's just a questionable shooter. Those are big issues. We don't know where he is in his recovery. Like it seems like you said, he seems like he's healthy. We don't know where he is in his development. So if he comes to camp and all of a sudden now his shot looks better, he could dribble a little bit more with his left and they're playing more to his passing and he's kind of playing that point forward role. Great. But if he comes back, to camp and these those holes are still there and are as glaring then it would probably make sense to get him some g league time but i think that would also be them i don't think that's what they want to see happen agreed it would not be a good sign if he starts the season in the g league kispert you, you might as well have him practice and play some games because if he's not in the rotation early i don't think that's like the setting that's going to be best for him because like a lot of his game is going to be depending on high quality guard play setting him up for open threes. I'm just not sure. I don't, well, it's Cassius Winston. He might be better with, I'm not sure. It, it, it can't hurt him. You know, they had, uh, I mean, obviously this is two years removed now and it'll be a different coach uh, this time around, but under Ryan Richmond, they had like really good solid point guard play on the go-go the last go round. And so that might actually give him an opportunity to like, you know, run some offense, like kind of ease into things. And, and maybe it would give Denny a chance to kind of come back. And yeah, like you said, get a little confidence back. You know, it's, it's like a couple minor league starts for a pitcher to start the, the season or whatever after an injury. But I think there's almost no chance they put Denny there just from an optic standpoint. Kispert, right. if he plays some here or there, you know, while the team's at home, it wouldn't surprise me, but I definitely don't think he'll spend like large stints with the go-go either. Right. I don't think he'll benefit too much from it, but if they, like you said, if they're home and they have an off day and he could go practice with the team and play that night, yeah. well, you know, why not just keep that shot, you know, get in rhythm, keep that shot going, what have you. And we call, saw a couple situations two years ago where uh, both teams had games on the same days and they were staggered enough that like Admiral Schofield played 25 minutes for the go-go and then was mm-hmm. active that night for the wizard. So it could also be a situation like that. And, you know, young guys, you just want to get them reps, I, I think. So, right. so it might make yeah. sense. Agreed. Uh, we talked a lot about, are there enough minutes for Neto and Aaron Holiday right out of the gate? I see no path to playing time for Cassius Winston right now, assuming no. everybody stays healthy. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't see how he gets on the floor. Unless, you know, something disastrous something, yeah, happens. Yeah, right, right, right. Even then, uh, like let's say Dinwiddie, you know, Dinwiddie isn't ready and takes a step back or whatever. I expect them to go pretty heavy, Neto, Holiday, Beal, Avdia as the ball handlers. So at what point do you cut bait? I mean, they they added him back on a two-way, so it's obviously not a big commitment, but 
at what point is like it fair to say this Cassius Winston experiment has not been like an overwhelming success? Yeah, I uh, I mean, I wasn't surprised that they brought him back on the two way. But to me, he would have to show a lot in camp for me to confidently keep him on that two way. Agreed. Um, he did not look comfortable from the three point NBA three point line at all. It was looked like he was kind of putting everything he had to get to the ball to the rim. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not the biggest point guard either. It just he did not look like an NBA player when he played. So he, they're also like he's the fourth point guard. I guess maybe you could keep him around uh, because Holiday and Neto both are unrestricted free agents. I think Holiday may be restricted after the season. But both are both are free agents after the season, so maybe he's like he's like a secession plan to be the backup point guard. But do I really think that they would trust him going into the 2022-23 season? No. Um, you would almost yeah. It's kind of a little, have they filled the second two way spot yet? Uh, not to my knowledge. The last I saw, they had exhibit tens for Jordan Goodwin, Jay Huff. And I want to say Holmesley. I see. I wasn't sure if they had signed him yet or if he was still kind of. I did, I thought they might be trying to get him under the last two way spot, but I don't I don't know if I've heard anything on it. As of basketball reference today, they only yeah. officially have Cassius on two way. Gotcha. OK. I mean, I would have tried to take a shot on someone who maybe projected like maybe like a younger wing or maybe mm-hmm. actually maybe even another center because. You have Bryant coming off the injury, but him and Montrez Harrell are both unrestricted free agents after the season. So, uh, you know, let's see. I, you know, wasn't really inspired by their, uh, like, kind of signing their summer league team that looked totally underwhelming to all their contracts to fill out their G League roster. But, let, you know, let's see how it goes. Jaime Eshenike didn't intrigue yeah. you? Oh, that was that. He, he was, he kind of cracked me up a few times. He had some funny plays. Did he, he threw the ball off the guy, right, on the other team? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm I trying to remember. He also got off. hurt that same game, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was like, yeah, I laughed when he threw the ball. It was totally avoidable. He could have thrown it off his leg, thrown it off the guy's arm, but he just went, yeah, I'm going to throw it off this guy's face. You got to love it. I, I respect yeah. the balls to pull that in an yeah. NBA game here, too. Uh, all right. So we've kind of run through who's the key guys in the rotation. And uh, either way, I actually think the go-go will be pretty good this year uh, based on who, who these guys kind of trickle down from the big team, but uh, there was a uh, wizards after dark in the last week uh, that Fred's Fred cats of the athletic does. And, and by the way, Fred does a fantastic job in, in my opinion overall, but he brought in one of their sort of national writers, Dave DeFore to talk about, you know, the wizards expectations for this season. And, and you and I both listened to this and, and a couple of the comments from, from Dave specifically caught our ears a little bit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the Wizards projecting as a bottom five defensive team, and they might be better off to sort of punting on defense. Uh, I actually think this has the makings of the best Wizards defensive team in like, I don't know, at least five years, uh, maybe maybe even more than that, to be honest. Um, yeah. That's crazy, right? I mean... <laughs> I think it's crazy because they made their run when Gafford came to the team and triggered their defense. And that mm-hmm. run was... Look, let's not make it something that it wasn't, but that was some of the best basketball they've played in years. Yeah. So why would you punt on something that they had success with last season to go back to a style of play that had them in 30 win territory the two years prior to that? Like, are we really trying to recreate the 1920 Wizards team where they were, they were 
losing to the Clippers 150 to 135. Exactly. Yeah. That's, I mean, so, so I listened to it and I think I reached out to you and we, I, I, you know, I asked you to listen to it and kind of gauge your thoughts. Fred does a great job. I think some of my contention about the Brian stuff I already talked about. I think he's like kind of left out context in regards to how efficient Gafford actually is. Mm-hmm. David DeFore is a great guy also. And like sometimes when a national guy comes on, they're just not as in tune. It's not his expertise. Yeah. Not his expertise, but kind of saying, complaining about the defense, saying maybe at best case they're bottom five when they were actually 20th in the league last season. And if you look at where they were from when Gafford came on, they were much better than that. Yeah, like top half. Yeah, right. yeah, top half of the league. And that's like then to say, hey, you know, let's all in on offense. It's kind of like what we talked about earlier. National guys want to see Beal traded and they want to just see 150 points a game, you know? <laughs> so they don't, they're not actually interested in talking about anything that would actually benefit the Wizards. So that, <laughs> that whole conversation I kind of took and I was like, that was, Fred does a great job. I just totally hated that <laughs> that whole discussion on the Wizards. In the odd chance that you're listening to this, Fred, you need to drop the smackdown on people when they they slight the Wizards defensively now. <laughs> uh, but but if you just look at it like position by position, I mean Westbrook had some moments defensively last year, but mm-hmm. I, I think I, I'm, I'm willing to say that he was underwhelming defensively over you know the the whole course of the season. I think Dinwiddie, assuming he's healthy is an upgrade at that position. Uh, Beal is Beal. I mean, yeah. I'm underwhelmed by the defense, but if you got to score 30 a game, so be it. Maybe if he has less scoring load this year, he has a little more uh, incentive to play some defense to, to go with it. And then at the wing position, there's no way that whoever they start at the three isn't better uh, defensively, in my opinion. Right. Hopefully so had, Rui you know- gets better, you know, I mean. And I think even with Rui, so Rui was one of the worst power. If you look at just DRPM, sure. I think he was maybe out of power forwards, one of the bottom in the league. Yeah. Last year, he had jumped up maybe 60 spots amongst power forwards to like 20th in the league. Mm-hmm. So that's just in his second season. I don't think we decide, okay, he jumped to that. Now he's done growing. So I think you'll see some continued growth there. Kuzma has already shown some growth on defense. KCP is a very good known defender. Gafford, ideally, if he's healthy, can't like, you know, that shot altering will help the defense. So like you said, there's definitely hope for them to be at least middle of the pack defensively, maybe even a little better. I think the key is just the key is the guards. Dinwiddie um, adds some size. So that's good. It's always good to be longer on the floor. Um, Beal has to re-engage defensively. And I understand the last few years, the expectations were a little different. And his his responsibility was scoring and he was kind of just too tired to play defense they have a number of guys now who maybe they don't have someone like westbrook who could score have a 40 point triple double but they have kuzma could score 20 on a given night Rui could score 20 on a given night kcp could hit five six threes on a given night dinwiddie could score 20 to 30 on a given night they have so many harold could do the same they have so much more depth so many more guys who could score between 10 to 25 on a given night Beal doesn't need for his field goal attempts and his usage to continue its incline he could bring that number down and he could focus in if he really wants to win if he really wants is worried about that versus 2k ratings and what have you he could re-engage defensively and if he does that the defense the team will look a lot better um and because right now he's actually if i 
if I was being 100% honest, he's my biggest worry defensively amongst the starters. I agree. And like you said, he's shown he can do it. Like he's never been like a great defender, but if he's just like league average, I mean, that'd be huge. huge. Yeah. That's a huge boost for them. If he's the worst of the five defenders on the court to start a game and, and he's at least marginal, you know, I mean, exactly. Yeah. uh, The the thing with Beal, like, I want to say it was two years ago, like they started the season against the, the Mavericks and like he wanted to guard Doncic late and things like that. Like he wanted to take the challenge and, and show people he could do it, but it just, you, you know, by, by like week two, he was like, all right, th- this isn't happening. So yeah. And even he, then wanting to take the challenge, hopefully the coach can say, yeah. okay, I know you want this, but let's not put you on Jason Tatum to end the game because he could shoot over you. Let's not put you on Luca because look, and this is no, like, I'm not trying, look, I'm five, eight, yeah, but Beal, he's, he's six, Beal three. six, Beal six, three. He cannot defend a six, eight wing. And, and Beal six, himself said that, like, I actually yeah. asked him the question um, in that first game where Tatum kind of went nuts. And he's like, the guy's literally six or seven inches taller than me. Like there's only so much I can do. Right. And so they should not put him in that position, nor, should he ask to be put in that position? But if now all of a sudden all he has to do is chase around Patty Mills, you know, hopefully that's a that's a little better for him. Hopefully it's a little better for him. I was a little concerned. So why I'm a little skeptical about the defense turning is they got to the playoffs. So now it's about winning, right? Yeah. They got to the Philadelphia series. He wanted to get to the there. That was his showcase. Mm-hmm. And Seth Curry, Kirk Maz, what have you, just went to work. Yeah. And there was no defense from either Beal or Westbrook. So I get the argument that, hey, we're a 31 team. He's scoring 35 points a game. Let's not expect him to play defense. Now you're in the playoffs and now you have to play defense. And he still didn't. So that's why I'm a little skeptical, but you know, let's, I was encouraged that West Hansel Jr. in his introductory press conference said, we need to have buy-in and included Beal in that. So he didn't say that Beal has bought in. He said, I'm looking to see buy-in. So he kind of put the onus on him. I liked, I liked hearing that. There were a bunch of times last year where Beal came out after a loss where he played bad defensively and said, guys have to play better defense. And Scott Brooks was like, yeah, I agree. Guys have to play better defense. Yeah. So like you got to hold everybody accountable. And one of the biggest arguments I've made for Thomas Bryant is that some of the times he looked bad on defense to me because he was just put at a severe disadvantage because they had no perimeter defense. Granted, he's still not good. I just think he's he's slightly better than he's been able to show and I'm hoping that that's the case with Rui too, where like, you know, he, he maybe he doesn't have to guard uh, KD every possession. And now that's a little easier for him and he's got some help and they can switch things. So I just think a better system and with like better, more competent defenders around them, hopefully, you know, the, the rising tide lifts all ships kind of thing applies to their defense. Right. If you think about it, it's a little silly. I think Brian is going to always struggle defensively, but he could be, like you said, a little better. If he had help on the perimeter, more help. Serviceable enough defensively. Exactly. In Rui's case, it's funny. Everyone's like, oh, his defense is defense. But they have him guarding LeBron. They have him guarding Tatum. They have him guarding Jalen Brown. With no help. Kevin Durant with with no help. So this is a guy everyone's like, oh, he has defensive issues. Yet he is the one tasked with the most difficult assignment with no help. And for the, the fact that his numbers improved like they did shows me that there's a lot. There's still more there to tap into. You know, like, the, and this is what we were going back and forth about on Twitter a little bit is like, there were some big lapses last year, right? But that's yeah. also, 
everyone on the court was doing that. And, and it's hard to pinpoint like whose missed assignment that kind of thing is when everybody is running think, around like a chicken with their head cut off. Right. I think you and I talked about the Dallas game where should he have helped or should he have left a three point shooter in the corner yeah. when they were up two? And I remember that discussion, but it's like, and then, and like, you may be 100% right. Maybe he should not have helped worst case you go to overtime. Sure. Also just any player, any forward, any center on this team would benefit if the guards just didn't yeah. let their, their man around, like at least show, like make it a little difficult. Not like, Hey, I'm just going to dribble with my right hand and just dribble right around you. You know, yep. make them do some work, make them do something that they show in their summer highlight videos. You know, I just want to hear that, like whatever they did out on the floor, it was executing on what Wes wanted them to do. Right. Like there were too many times last year where it was like, Oh, this guy broke away from the system or the scheme or whatever, you know, and, and exactly. that's kind of yeah. a frustrating thing. Uh, all right. Just to close this out here, I, we, we got to address this a little bit here because I think you and I have been in <laughs> lockstep. Uh, I've said on this show multiple times, like I just did not enjoy. And, and, and this was prior to him being a wizard. Russell Westbrook was not the most aesthetically pleasing basketball player for me. Uh, but I respect the hell out of like the effort. And I mean, he is a historically impactful player. Like, right. I just don't think, yeah, like just all timer. I did not like to fit next to Beal. It's two guys that are sort of not, they're both high usage. They're both not sort of defensive oriented. Like that's not who I would ideally have liked for this team. And uh, he was super impactful in them making their playoff run. He also, you know, they put so much stock in him and his impact on the game and him starting off poorly also resulted in a slow start. So I think all of those things can be true. And if you say them, you're not a Russ hater or you're not killing the guy. Like I hope they go win a ring this year. Like the wizards aren't winning one. I'm good Mm -hmm. for him. If that guy gets a ring, cool. Uh, And he very well could. And I actually like that fit for him more than most people seem to, but we can do that another time. But uh, you said basically the same thing on Twitter and got crushed as being crazy and hating and he was the only reason the wizards have been relevant in the last two decades, which I, I don't even know what half that shit means. So I want to yeah. let you take the floor here. And, and uh, so, so I wrote a tweet it. that basically it was just like an off season dump of just random thoughts about like summer yeah. highlight workout videos, what have you. And one of them, like number 10 out of like 13 that I wrote from the old Trevor account was I'm not going to miss Westbrook style of play, but if like one tenth of the one tenth of the players in the league played as hard as he did, the league would be 10 times better. You know, I thought that was kind of like, I didn't think that was anything blasphemous. I was like, you said, I respect the guys. I respect how hard he plays. And you can see that this season, you could see Mm -hmm. like for years, there was, there were always a too cool for school wizards. Ted used to, Ted Leonsis used to call them that. And they would lose games. They shouldn't have lost. He tried hard every single night and I'll never criticize that, but his style of play was not one that I enjoyed watching. And I can't, I can't imagine anyone if they were like, talking their ideal basketball would say, I like watching a guard who cannot shoot, shoot a lot, and then have a bunch of turn, like five to six turnovers a game. It's just like when he went on, when he was on, it was great to watch. Like those nights, like the Brooklyn game where like that was fantastic, but we know that's not sustainable. And like, it's just not fun watching two guys kind of just monopolize the basketball and everyone else standing in the corner and then when those two guys are off, then everyone's like, well, everyone else sucks. Yeah. You know, it's everyone else's, else's fault that they have to shoot that much. When in, in fact, that's just how they play. 
So it it and it's not just it's not just him. Um, this same the last time John Wall played for the Wizards, the whole everybody eats thing was kind of still something. Yep. And they just weren't. It was and I don't know if it's a Scott Brooks thing because he is kind of a common denominator both times. But John Wall and Russell Westbrook are both very ball dominant, high usage, high time of possession guards. Neither of them can really shoot well. So you have that coupled with Beal, whose shooting and usage just continues to go up and up. And it's just, it just wasn't fun. Um, so that's all I wrote. Of course, the, the Colts, the Russ Hive, whatever you want to call them, they came out, they were upset. They were like, how could you, you know, like the whole point of this being the most relevant season, that's just, was, were, was this season that relevant? Was there? Didn't like, do this much for not, me personally. Didn't do much, anything for me. We got beat pretty badly, like in the, in the first round and kind of all the issues that we had with his play that we did not always see kind of when they went on their hot run came back in that playoff series. Like, so it just wasn't fun to watch. And like saying that something's not fun to watch doesn't mean I'm hating on the guy. It's just, yeah, I just, exactly. like his style, it's, play just doesn't, it's just not for me. You know, I like to see ball movement. I like to see everybody kind of get shots. I like, look, Tommy Shepard, when he took the job said he likes to see the ball move. He likes to see athletic players uninhibited. What we saw last year was the exact opposite of that and probably has something to do with why Scott Brooks is gone and maybe even something to do with why Russell Westbrook is gone. Sure. So it's just not like, it's just not it for me, you know? <laughs> and like people just totally ignored the second half part of the tweet and just like ran with the first and we're just all furious at the same time. I kind of enjoyed it. It's like, that was my, that was my goodbye to the Russ Hines. <laughs> It's funny. It's like, well, if you guys have moved on from our irrelevant franchise, why are you still paying so much attention to, to what we think about him? So, yeah, they're spending a lot of time talking about the Wizards. And, uh, you know, I was like, if look, if you're following a first ballot Hall of Famer city to city, then why are you so worried about us? You know, yeah. it, it, keep it moving. Uh, Although it does I, I, speak to like that's a first ballot Hall of Famer star. That's yeah. someone players that fans come out to watch. Yeah. Yet Washington fans are not really i don't see that many upset that he's gone sure. and again it's not a reflection of him i think it's more his style of play i, I think as a person people loved having him here people thought he was great it's just people just don't that's just not a fun style of basketball i think some of it's bang for your buck too like the where he's at in his career is not a 47 million dollar a night player and it's not right. that he's not good or impactful it's just it's hard to win when he's paid like a top 10 player in the league when he's not. And by the way, I, I can make some of those same arguments for, for Beal in some circumstances too. Right. And so it's not an attack on him. Like I loved the first couple of years that Harden was in Houston where he was like point guard Harden and they mm -hmm. just try to run on everything. And he facilitated, you know, the last couple of years, like what he did in Brooklyn, actually a lot of this year, like that's, that's fun to watch when right. he is dribble 100 times a possession I don't enjoy that either. And some of right. what Doncic does. So it's not a, a rust thing. It's just ball movement is more fun. It's exciting. No, it's like to see it was the a defense. wall thing after the 16, 17 season also. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> like that season, he like the ball moved a little bit more. They were a little yep. deeper in the lineup. But then once Wolf season, remember, <laughs> once all that stuff happened, then it became about let's let me make my MVP run and let me shoot more. At least it just seemed that way. And it just, it was a tough watch. Like you said, Harden, I enjoyed early and I enjoyed watching him in Brooklyn, but they were great. Like they pushed the KD version of the Warriors to the game seven. 
but it still wasn't fun to watch him play like because it was just two players and especially one in his case which is dribble 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 every possession was the exact same like when you think of good basketball you think of transition you think of a lot of like three like hockey hockey assists all that mm-hmm. type of stuff that to me is enjoyable i mean sure so i'm i'm not denying that some people probably do like just iso That's iso fine. ball yeah. but you know teach their own yeah it, it, i'm totally with you too and it's just one of those things where like okay if your argument is well what was you know westbrook supposed to do his teammates sucked well yeah they were terrible but when that much of your salary cap goes to certain players you, you also can't surround him with multiple hall of famers and a deep bench like right it, it's you know if you want to be compensated like a top 10 player you have to produce like a top 10 player and that means your teammates will not be as good so there is some amount of hey you will have to carry them so i just i think that's sort of just like a I don't know. I'm all, if you just disagree, that's fine. Like, hey, I love yeah. to watch that. I love to watch the guy rebound. Like that was amazing yeah. to me. Uh, yeah. But, you know, just be objective. That's all I exactly. ever ask for. Exactly. Don't just give me his assist numbers. One, if one guy just has the ball all the time, his assist numbers are going to be good. Yeah. Like there's context to that. And it's also like, don't complain about the teammates when on nights where the teammates are playing well. Uh, like I think Gafford was shooting six, like almost 70% in the playoffs. Rui was had like a 65% true shooting percentage in the playoffs. Hey, you're not shooting. Well, mm. the guys that you've been telling, like, you know, we always hear, Oh, they're encouraging Rui to do more. They're trying to get him to be more aggressive. Yeah, hey, he's making yeah. like, he's shooting 70% this, this series. Why don't you pass on the ball more? Yeah. You know, <laughs> put it on him to make it to fail. Not just, not just say like, I'm not, not going to pass it to him because then, that like the whole argument about the teammates runs hollow when you ignore the teammates, even when they're hot. Yeah. You nailed it. Uh, all right. It's been an hour. I appreciate all the time. You've been very generous with your, your afternoon here. Uh, anything you want to leave us with anything you want to plug? Uh, nothing I want to plug. Um, I am actually, well, actually, I think I am going to do a little more, a little writing on the whole center position. Okay. Um, kind of my, you know, and look, I'm open, like, I'm not, I didn't want it to come off like I'm anti Thomas Bryant. I just can't make one. My argument is you just can't keep saying, well, the coaching scheme around subpar defensive players. It's the objective thing again. Yeah. If you have a good defensive player, put them on the floor. And if you're making the argument, don't ignore, don't say one guy's hyper-efficient while ignoring that the fact that the other guy is hyper-efficient. So I think I'm just going to kind of put that all in a piece. It's still off-season mode, but like I think on the Bolts Forever side, we're going to start ramping up very soon, wrapping up the Mystic season also. So definitely stay on the lookout. We'll uh, we'll be uh, it's it's already middle the middle of September, so we're going to be out of soon. You know, yep. yeah, training camp time. Uh, all right, thank you, sir. Appreciate the time, and uh, I look forward to doing this again. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, maybe we can see where we're at and what we got wrong here. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.